Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we re-examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are opening Hollywood's crypt to review John Hughes's 80s classic, Pretty in Pink. Try a little tenderness. <laughs> <laughs> that will not happen again. <laughs> I mean, it probably will. It probably will. You've never seen this movie before, Andy. I, yeah, I had never seen this movie, and it was interesting to me because I can recall hearing of this movie as early as like 10, like like my childhood. This was just mm-hmm. always sure. a movie that I was aware of and never bothered, decided, I don't know, never, never never felt a need to actually give it a chance until it was presented for our show. Well, it's not exactly like a boy lexicon movie. It's right. not it's not a coming of age movie for most dudes. Right. Whereas it's totally a coming of age movie for for most girls. Yeah, and so it's interesting. So you you had seen this. I saw this at a friend of mine's 13th birthday party right after we played a game of MASH. So, like, peak of the peak teen girl experience. (laughs) We played MASH, which if you're unfamiliar, is a game where you decide who you're going to marry what kind of house you're going to live in. If you get down to the nitty and gritty, I think other things involve like what car you're going to drive, how yeah, many kids you're going to have. Yeah, that's right. Right after playing that game, we watched Pretty in Pink. And that experience, watching it as a 13-year-old girl, very, very different than watching it as a 29-year-old woman. I would imagine. <laughs> Just because, you know, your um, your standards are different. Your standards for men are different. Um, your understanding of class structure is different because this is a movie kind of about class structure. I don't think at 13 I was going like, ooh, the establishing shot of the movie is on train tracks and I'm going to really notice this and pay attention to class differentiations in the movie. Like 13-year-old me wasn't looking at that. 13-year-old me was like, ooh, look at all the pretty clothes and the pretty dresses and isn't Ducky so cute? (laughs) Right. Speaking of standards in class, I did not know James Spader was in this. And <laughs> I didn't know how much of a thing I have for James Spader until <laughs> really having to come to terms with it. It's It's been a little over a week since we watched the movie, and it's been on my mind a lot. Like, I've always been aware of James Spader. I've always enjoyed James Spader. But for some reason, like like watching this and and watching his performance as the elitist asshole in Pretty in Pink awoke something in me. Well, f- to be fair, for most of the movie, he's not wearing pants. <laughs> he's very he's very young. It's very young James yeah. Spader. Like he has all of his hair, his beautiful blonde hair. Andy, I know that you tend to have a thing for people who aren't going to treat you well. James Spader would not treat you well. So yeah, especially, especially as stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So we are getting far, far ahead of ourselves. Should we back up and um, give a synopsis of this film? Yeah, that's the thing we do is is tell people the synopsis for if they skipped it. <laughs> it is, but it has been um, a minute since we recorded. For those of you who aren't Andy and me, I moved in the break between these two episodes between our, I want to say toothless, but that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be teeth. <laughs> right part of the body <laughs> between our teeth episode and our pretty and pink episode i moved and it was very stressful so it's been a minute since we've done a podcast so we should give a synopsis we absolutely Andy, should. did you have one written i did not but we can we can manage pretty and pink is the story of andy a girl from the wrong side of the tracks and it matters a lot more to the movie than to the viewer i think that that's the case but she comes from a household where her mom left her dad is in a pretty depressive rut about it and she goes to a very affluent prep school and it is the story of Andy and it is a very much feminine coming to age movie where she has to deal with the dueling affections of her best friend Ducky and the rich and popular Blaine. And I mean, broad strokes that's the plot of the movie is is the two of them making their affections clear and andy kind of working through the love triangle and and making a choice it really is i mean the main plot of this movie is a girl decides whether or not she's going to prom and with whom right it's not that complex of a movie and this is normally when i'd want to say something andy to the effect of like but there's so much more. But like I said, 13-year-old me and 29-year-old me have different concepts of this movie. Right. And 29-year-old me was left being like, why is this good? Why did I... Because I look back on it and I think, wow, I really loved this. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is so good. I feel so seen. I feel so heard. And maybe it's you have to watch it when you're a teenager, because as a fully grown adult, I was like, okay. I think so. I really do. And I and and we'll talk about this more at the end when we discuss why it's cult. But I think it absolutely matters where you are in your life when you see this movie. As somebody mm. who hadn't seen it until I was you know, 27 and living in 2019... Like I had heard about this movie basically my entire life, but actually watching it, like I remember by the end, it's like a little underwhelming in terms of just what happens kind of a letdown. And there's nothing wrong with this movie, but there wasn't anything that really blew me away about it either. Well, and you even said in your notes about this movie that it's, a lot of tropes yeah and you're wondering like did this did this help to make those tropes so i remember in college i read and for the life of me i can't remember the title of the book but it was like one of the first short novellas of science fiction and it seemed so underwhelming until we found out what year it was published and it was published 
before 1984 and it was published before Animal Farm and it was published mm-hmm. before Ayn Rand and it was all of the it was the original version of all of those sci-fi tropes of like the woman's gonna do this the male character is gonna have this experience and we're gonna negate the character's experience in this way and this is policed and this is police like it had all the science fiction tropes where like sex is policed and we decide what you wear and all those different things and it seemed really underwhelming until you found out that it was published in the 1800s sure before everything else was public i feel like maybe pretty in pink is that like maybe it helped make all of these tropes I, and maybe that's why we're underwhelmed by it. Yeah, I really wonder about that. And I, I didn't do research that I maybe could have done. But just while watching it and as I've been chewing on it since then, I really do wonder how influential this was. Because like John Hughes is the 80s director. He's, he's one of the preeminent directors of the 80s for me. And there is so much in Pretty in Pink that does feel incredibly tropey and i just don't know if it helped originate these things or not but you know the girl on the wrong side of the tracks the single sad sack parent the best friend love interest the rich guy who looks past the quote-unquote negative aspects of the feminine protagonist like Mm. not another teen movie riffs on a lot of these and Mm -hmm. Like they they just they they totally have become tropes and I don't know, like I don't know it, like I guess I'm gonna look into it if if someone were to tell me or if I find out that Pretty in Pink really helped pioneer these storytelling technologies, then it'll get a bit more like credit in my eyes. He's just he's gonna use your ass and throw you away. God, I would have died for you. So what am I supposed to do? He asked me out and I like him. I do know that Molly Ringwald movies were like the thing of the 80s but i also know that when you and i were sitting down to watch this movie i had a brief second where i was like wait is this the one with ducky or is that 16 candles because 16 candles and pretty in pink are so similar that i could not remember which one i was sitting down to watch and i i think that says something no i think you're absolutely right and it's 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 so bizarre because pretty in pink is the second 16 candles came out first but they're both molly ringwald vehicles written by john hughes about a girl from the wrong side of the tracks having to deal with a uh, love triangle yeah it's bizarre that they would be made one after the other like they were Mm -hmm. but i want to talk a little bit like like it's so interesting to me and i don't know if i'm alone in this this movie and so many parts of this movie just belong to the 80s like like molly ringwald belongs to the 80s in a way that other actors maybe don't belong to other time periods yeah and we talked about this we were trying to think of like how different actors belong to a time period and you were like well what's a what's a similar example and i thought how um sarah jessica parker belongs to the 90s yeah you know, she, Buffy belongs to the 90s. Freddie Prince Jr. belongs to the 90s. And it's really easy for me to think of those names because I grew up in the 90s. 
So I feel like people who grew up in the 80s, like Molly Ringwald is their postage stamp. Like where when they think about their childhood or teenagehood, they think about Molly Ringwald. Absolutely. And it's, I don't know, it's just for some reason so fascinating to me to have this sort of pin you can stick in a moment in time. Yeah. And, you know, Molly Ringwald's one of it. John Hughes is the other. Like, like I didn't, John Hughes is a name that, that I am familiar with, but even I didn't realize just how important he was to 80s comedies. Like just just yeah. to list off the highlights, this is the guy who gave us Vacation, Mr. Mom, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Weird Science, which is on the list, the Home Alone movies, <laughs> and the Beethoven <gasps> series. No, wait, he did Home Alone? He did Home Alone, and he did eight movies about a St. Bernard. <laughs> um, Perfect. For one. For two, it's not Christmas for me until I've watched Home Alone. Ah. <laughs> I have a <laughs> I have a long-standing fight with my wife about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> so who's, yes, it's a Christmas movie, who's, no, it's not. Oh, Christmas me. Movie. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, you which one? I vehemently. You are a pro? I vehemently consider it a Christmas movie. Oh, my God. And not just to troll Alex. her, but, like. <laughs> Like, also, there's a legitimate argument to be made in my mind. Um, this is another instance in we have the same exact marriage because Alex <laughs> also also says that it's a Christmas movie because he's like, his ultimate argument is they're just trying to get home for Christmas. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, uh, just going back to John Hughes, like, his contributions, both as a writer and a director... The, we're, we're we're six episodes in we've got a lot of ground to cover but like i think by a wide margin his body of work and his contributions to cinema are the biggest we have encountered so far for sure and at the same like when we get into 16 candles you'll see how similar these two movies are but there's major themes that are exactly the same there's characterizations and and i understand directors have kind of their themes that they come back to and their you know their quips that they come back to but john cryer's character of ducky is extremely similar to um anthony michael hall i think yes thank you anthony michael hall's character in 16 candles he I think steals a girl's underwear, if I'm remembering correctly. Does he dress as loudly as Ducky? Is is my question. <laughs> okay, listen for our listeners who did not get to watch this movie with Andy and I. Andy straight up cringed anytime Ducky oh, would yeah. come onto the scene. Oh so bad. <laughs> Andy, you wear Hawaiian print shirts on the reg. Just like <sighs> So so his fashion did not agree with you. No, 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 no. I had it in my notes, like, and and I think this absolutely is because of Pretty in Pink, but like Molly Ringwald's fashion has come back around to... Oh, sure, because fashion is cyclical. Fashion is cyclical. And, and the female fashion, specifically the Andy's fashion in the movie, has totally come back around to the modern day female hipster, I think. But the mm-hmm. men's fashion, and especially Ducky's fashion, have not come around. And I'm so thankful for that because I could not stand 
understand Ducky's outfits. And you really liked them. Okay. <laughs> there, so, as I've said, there are multiple things that 29-year-old me finds problematic. And absolutely, we'll get into them. Right. There's a lot about Ducky that bothers me. But there's something about him that I'm still like, oh, it's a little charming. And, oh, I can't get over that. And even though I know that I should have problems with this, I just, I can't. <laughs> and his fashion absolutely is one of them. Like, I watched you cringe and I was like, what? He's wearing a hat. He's wearing wingtip shoes. And he's wearing John Lennon glasses. I don't understand what the problem is. And then I listen to myself and I'm like, oh, no, I hear the problem. <laughs> The problem is every time he shows up in the movie, a different credenza has exploded <laughs> around him. <laughs> like, oh. it's not even it. It's not even like modern day dude bro, milady cringy. It's just it's so loud and obnoxious and and unmatched to the nines the only outfit that i found at all acceptable was his prom outfit at the end like i uh, i i did not like ducky i did not like ducky pretty much at all in this movie all right so we're roughly 20 minutes in let's get in to our thoughts about ducky because ducky is a large part of this movie yeah so you don't like him at all no he's just so aggravating and extra and annoying (laughs) and if my friends did this i would totally like give them a serious sit down rationing of shit about their behavior Okay, so what behavior are you discussing? The, like, I, the, I agree with you, but I want to talk Well, about the it. thing that absolutely comes to mind is when he goes into Iona's CD store, the place where Andy works, and starts mm-hmm. ringing the, the fire alarm multiple times just to, like, get her attention and get her to come to the back room. Yup, yup, uh-huh, uh-huh. I would kill somebody. Who like, and and Iona's chill. Iona's cool, but man, just I, I would lose my mind on somebody to come in where I work and 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 do that to me. For reference, Iona is the character who owns the record store where Andy works. Right, and we have a whole thing about her later. She's great. Yeah, she's great. Um, she deserves she deserved Ducky's screen time as the best friend. In my opinion. Word. 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 Hot take where Ducky isn't in the movie. (laughs) And it's just Iona instead. Uh, Arguably better movie? Arguably. Especially. And and we keep saying we're going to get into it. But like there's a whole separate movie about Ducky in here. So he could have just been in that movie. And Iona could have taken his spot in Pretty in Pink. And they're probably two better products for it. Yes. Okay, so the reason I absolutely agree with you, Ducky is problematic. 13-year-old me couldn't see it. Because 13-year-old Stephanie was into it. Sure. (laughs) But 13-year-old Stephanie was into a smart, sassy, funny guy who was in every way smitten with the main character who was enough resemblant to me that it was basically like place your name here. (laughs) He calls her every minute. He's attentive. He follows her to class. He talks to her dad. He goes to her place of work. 
And then 29-year-old me looks at this and I'm like, he talks to her dad without her knowing. Right. He comes to her job, her place of work, and is disruptive. He follows her every minute. He calls her six times in ten minutes. And then I looked at it through the lens of my fully grown self, and I was like, oh. Oh, this is, oh, oh, this is problematic. And I have so many issues <laughs> with it. It almost felt really stalkery until, like, halfway through the movie. And only halfway through the movie does Andy say, we're really good friends. We've been friends since eighth grade. I don't know what I'd do without you. And only at that point is their friendship given any legitimacy. Right. Before then, it's a lot of visual cues. I think I think you're supposed right. to take that he dresses in the same manner as her in that first school scene and just take it as read that they're best friends. Yes, because he basically dresses like the male version of her. And maybe that's part of your beef with her fashion, with his fashion, is that like his fashion very much stopped in the 80s and has not come back. And hers absolutely has since. We don't got none of this. We don't got doors on the stalls in the boys' room. We don't have what is this? We don't have a candy machine in the boys' room. We don't got none of that. But there are so many moments, like I wrote down a quote Andy goes to a club, Ducky follows her to the club, and because he's not of a certain age, he can't go in. I guess he's not over 18 or something. Yeah. I guess Andy is. Which is a whole murky part that the plot doesn't get addressed by. But anyway, Ducky is sitting outside the club. Andy comes out. Ducky follows her and says, what now, Andy? And Andy says, bed. Ducky says, yours? Mine? Ours? And it's charming until you look at it. And then it's not charming anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, that's something I might have used as a pickup line in high school. And high school Andy was not what he thought he was. High school Andy was charming and sweet. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking as someone who thought high school Andy was very, very charming. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm no James Spader, but, you know, I can at least give you compliments. I will eat them up. Um, But just, I... So there's a moment where Ducky is in her room and she is downstairs getting them sodas or something and he starts talking to himself and he (laughs) he, he's giving a little self monologue where it's just like, I love her and I gotta tell her that I love her. I love this woman. I love this woman. (laughs) And if she says no, that's that's just going to be the end of it. And it became clear to me that, oh, he's projecting. He's projecting mm-hmm. all of his insecurity and anxiety and just using this eccentric, flippant, sassy, overt, humorous personality to cover all that up. And I can totally relate and respect that using humor to cover up anxiety but because hello hello (laughs) (laughs) but man he was aggravating the entire movie even understanding that like that deep part of his character didn't excuse most of the stuff for me it absolutely didn't excuse like the actual asshole stuff he does later on in the movie right like abandoning his friend who he has not 
Okay. There is a thing that dudes do when they have a crush on a woman, specifically dudes in high school, where they feel they are owed a certain amount of respect or knowledge or amount of that person's time. And Ducky absolutely does this. And then he gets mad when she has a crush on another man, on another boy, and doesn't consider him as an equivalent option, despite the fact that he has not made his feelings known at all. Andy doesn't owe Ducky shit. And yet Ducky is absolutely acting like he is owed Andy's time and attention. Yeah. I mean, this, this very much precursors that Milady archetype, (laughs) but in a, in a way it's, it's almost like a early ancestor to that behavior. No, you're not wrong. And Andy has no good options in this movie. She has Ducky who has nothing to offer her other than a winning personality. Right. There's Blaine, who is a cute piece of cardboard. Yep. (laughs) And then there's the rich creepo James Spader, who never wears pants. (laughs) So she doesn't have a whole ton of great options here in this movie. And I think that's very indicative of most girls' high school experience. Of I can go with the cute rich guy... Or I can go with the funny guy who has a personality and who's obsessed with the idea of me, but doesn't actually know who I am as a human. Sure. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting. And I can't tell if it's just you watch this 30 years later and it's an issue or um excuse me i was not i was not 13 30 years ago i'm not no 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 not you not you not you (laughs) (laughs) i'm not even going to dignify that the people (laughs) the the people who made this movie popular the people who watched this in theaters when it came out i can't tell if there's a difference between how these things were perceived in the 80s versus now or if it's just me but like mm. there's nothing interesting here there's there's no, there's, there's no good options and the it, there's no good options to the point where it's not even presented in an interesting way blaine i have just as many problems with him you know there's the whole oh, yeah. there's the whole weirdness this movie tries to shovel the class imbalance like it's something i should give a shit about and I just couldn't. But it doesn't earn it. No. Yeah, this movie does not earn its class struggle. It presents it and then says, I did the work. See, here's a class struggle. But it doesn't do any of the work of backing up and showing us where that comes from. It doesn't really even show, other than the fact that she home makes her clothes and that her dad doesn't necessarily work. It really doesn't show us much of Andy's class struggle either. We don't see her having a hard time paying for things. And the only time we really see Andy have any kind of difference is when she has a really hard time with her date Blaine taking her home. Because she doesn't want him to see where she lives. Yeah. And beyond, like, so it doesn't present the class struggle very well. And and my whole thing is just... 
why do we care about the class struggle period? And I know this was a trope in the eighties and I know this was a, a much better thing than, than maybe it is now, but like it does not matter that there is an economic difference between them, or at least it certainly shouldn't matter to the kids. If, if you wanted to mm. add in Blaine's parents and they were snooty jerks about it, that I could understand a little bit more, but like, Blaine spends so much time and, and Steph uh, is whispering in his ear the whole time about how, oh, she's poor and that's a negative. And it's just like, I, I don't care mm, beyond mm-hmm. that. I don't see why Blaine fights for her in any way. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know about you. I don't know about you, listener. I could never, especially in high school, God forbid, I could never just walk up to somebody I had seen around and been like, hey, let's go out. Now, maybe that's me. But, (laughs) like, you look at what Blaine actually does. He notices her around, walks up to her during a a break one day, and is like, hey, you're kind of cute. My name's Blaine figures out where she works bumps into her there oh hey thank you so much for giving me this wham cd no 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 not a cd record you're right record it is absolutely a record (laughs) (laughs) and then like like i get why she likes him whatever but like there and 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 i get why maybe he looks at her and thinks she's cute but uh, uh it's not at all right. worth the effort either of them put in to like make this thing work when in actuality they're complete strangers. I don't know. It's not very believable because if you're going to do the thing where you're going to go outside your class structure, go outside your friend group, meet this random person. I don't know if it's just the disney way in which I've grown up, but there has to be something pretty extraordinary about that person. And Blaine gives no insight into the fact that he understands Andy as anything other than a pretty girl. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, I really love how in that one art class we had together, you understood the structure of negative space. Like, he doesn't ever say something like, I really like how you do this. He never says who you are as a person. I've seen it in this space and it shocked me and amazed me so much that I had to meet you and I had to see you. He just kind of shows up. Yeah. And you you said it perfectly. He's a very, very pretty piece of cardboard. And, (laughs) and, and I mean, like you look at Andy and her most distinguishing feature in the movie is that she's Molly Ringwald. Like, yes, she's, yes, yep. she's, she's a talented seamstress. Yes. She has creativity. Yes. She has a good heart, but like at the end of the day, the, the, the biggest thing about Andy is that she's Molly Ringwald. And then her choices are right. super annoying ducky, super bland Blaine and James Spader, who could light a cigarette, put it out in my face, spit on the wound, and I'd probably ask for more because I have some issues I need to explore. Andy, um, should we should we go into this? Like, do we need to? I don't it? think so, but I'm really excited to watch Secretary in a way I wasn't now. Oh my god! <laughs> I for 
bitch. You know, I think you ought to see a doctor because that condition of yours could get a lot worse. I forgot that he was the male lead and secretary. Yeah. Um, so the the movie presents Ducky as kind of like the second main character. Did you want to go into that? Yeah, because this was blatantly obvious to the both of us. Like, Ducky is t- second build in the cast. I mean, he's probably actually third build under Henry Dean Stanton. But like, he's really more of a secondary protagonist except for the fact that he's like kind of written out of the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. But like specifically what we noticed is if you look at Andy's arc and then you look at Ducky's arc, he's the one mm-hmm. who has more growth. He's the one who has a more interesting journey. Like she spends the whole time kind of balancing between the two of them and batting Ducky away and fighting to keep Blaine closer. And it's like, ugh, whatever. He, mm-hmm. he, like, yeah, he's an asshole, but he goes from hopelessly devoted to, like, burned and and lashing out in, in a very much more realistic way, I think, because, you know, teenagers can be total assholes. You know, he, and, and eventually, like, his, his moment of positive change his hero moment is when he hears steph shit talking andy and then he beats steph up over it so we can't talk about this without talking about the fact that this movie originally had a different ending where ducky and andy wind up together Mm -hmm. and with that it makes more sense that they both have their own hero's journey but with the ending they actually released the film with it just comes across as that's that's how you know it's written by a man. Like mm-hmm. if you never if, if you watch this movie and you don't know who John Hughes is and you've never heard of John Hughes and you're not paying attention when his name comes up in the credits, like maybe you think this movie was written by a woman until you get to that point and then it's like, okay, no, this written this was written by a man because they gave the closest thing we have to a male protagonist the actual interesting emotional journey to go on. Right. Well, and, like, as, as the two characters are getting ready for prom, you see both of their getting ready for prom processes. Right. Whereas, if this movie were truly just about Andy, Ducky wouldn't at all be involved in that montage. We wouldn't see him sitting alone um, with his suit on, like, sitting there hyping himself up, we would just see Andy doing her eyeshadow and crimping up her hair and putting on her dress and zipping it up and back. We would just see a montage of her getting ready. But I have a problem with the fact that this movie could have been something better, but because it didn't fully commit to either thing, it was just kind of a crap movie. Yeah. Like... It could have been absolutely a braided narrative about how two people keep missing each other and how they don't understand and how one of them has a crush on the other. It could have been so much better, but because it didn't commit to that narrative, it's just, here's Ducky. He sings Otis Redding's songs and dances around a record store. And here's Andy. She makes her own clothes. It's okay, I guess. They're both going to prom. Will they go together? Who knows? (laughs) It just doesn't, it barely passes for good. 
Yeah. I mean, there's it. It's so interesting that this is like this, this for a lot of people and for a very specific generation of people was like a beloved modern day fantasy love story. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's too old. Maybe, maybe we were too old for, for this particular time of watching it, but there was just something that like, didn't work i don't know looking at it technically it's fine like there's there's nothing wrong with it It, it's real it's well written it has decent structure all of the technical components are fine it was actually really interesting i'm watching this movie and halfway through it i'm just thinking to myself i could have shot this yeah It, it was very very static very simple camera moves and the the cinematographer is a man named Tak Fujimoto, and he is a name that, like me as a big old film nerd, I know this guy and I know his work, and I was very surprised to see that he was the one working on it, because this guy had like a thirty year long career, and it was like, like like there's some stuff in the back half of the movie where it's like, okay, you got out the the giant crane camera and you you filmed across the street okay you you, okay there is some simple stuff in here but it's just interesting how like i i totally could have shot half of this movie and that's not me bragging no i love a world where andy my my wonderful twin soul of a human shot pretty in pink that's a wonderful (laughs) world and i want to keep living there well i won't stop you disappoint you but nothing happened nothing well not nothing i mean i kissed him anywhere interesting iona can we go into her please yeah she she's a delightful part of this movie she's the best part of this movie (laughs) she i want a pretty in pink movie just about iona just just about iona iona whose hair changes every day iona who keeps her prom dress as a I, th- I think Iona is like maybe in her what would you guess mid 30s we were we were trying to figure this out and, and were we <laughs> no yeah we were we we were trying to actually pin down her age because she's she's written as very older than Andy but yeah. until that was like beaten over my head i thought she was another high schooler maybe it was the hair there's a it's specific, probably the hair. There's a specific line she gives where then you can do some math, and we figured she was like mid to late thirties. That's right. So in a stretch, in a pinch, she can be the mother figure. I mean, she's more of an older sister figure, but in a pinch, she can be a mother figure, which I think is nice for this movie, especially since Andy is motherless. Or presented as motherless. Right. Um, we never see the mom in the movie. And I I love that she keeps her prom dress 15 plus years later. Yeah. Like, that shows a level of sentimentality about a human. Because I sure as heck don't have my prom dress still. <laughs> I have my wedding dress still, but I don't have my prom dress. It's somewhere in a goodwill you know talking about it it's it's actually really interesting and that would have been a very interesting way to explore the class struggle thing even more like iona shown as as living in an apartment 
and like maybe she kept her prom dress because like she was the first member of her family to be in high school long enough to go to prom maybe she she's not married they established that maybe the prom dress is the closest thing this quote-unquote old maid got to her wedding dress and that's why it has so much sentimentality you've stumbled on something that is honestly much more interesting than what the movie gave us oh i just got chills that's so beautiful that's so wonderful, the idea of Iona, like, holding... There's a book that I I really love um, by Alexis M. Smith called Glaciers, and one of the lines in it is something to the effect of women don't keep the official dresses, they keep the first side dresses, they keep the first hmm. dates, the carnivals, the first dances. Those are the dresses that women keep. And it makes me think about how, you know, how Iona has this dress that she's treasured so long in the back of her closet and how Andy, the closest this movie has to a theme is the passage of clothing. Yeah. That Andy, like, will make things out of past things and how her dad brings her home a dress and how Iona gives her her prom dress and she makes the two she makes her dress out of the two. Right. Yeah. And it's, it, that's like that. The movie wants you to understand the importance of that moment. And I think the only way you can is if you really appreciate Iona. Yeah. Which she, I'm, I mean, her cute as hell apartment. One of the best things about her by the end of the movie, you find out she's going to be okay. She's got her yeah. shit together late in life. She's got this this uh, stockbroker or whatever he is, this dude who's into her. The last time we see her, she's getting ready to go to a date. And you know things are going to be okay because like they're like running a half hour late and he just kind of laughs it off because she's still getting ready. But he's like totally chill and fine about it. True. That is the mark of a good man who's totally <laughs> fine with you getting... <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of someone who is routinely late for dates, because I'm like, hold on, my hair isn't done yet. <laughs> right. Speaking as a man who routinely has to struggle with, okay, we said we would be there in 15 minutes and it's 45 minutes away. <laughs> Listen, Mo's eyebrows always look perfect. Yes, they do. So... She is beautiful. <laughs> I have no complaints. Well, Andy, should we um, go ahead and give this movie some Oscars? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's appropriate that we're talking about Iona, because I'll go first. My Oscar is directly tied to her. I would like to give Pretty in Pink the Oscar for most 80s hairstyle. And anybody who's seen the movie <laughs> knows what I'm talking about, and you know what I'm talking about, which is why you're giggling. The first time we see Iona, she's working in the record store. She's up on a ladder doing something. And she has like this spider coming out of her head. <laughs> but it's her hair. I do not have enough hair to recreate this look, but by God, I want to someday. <laughs> I've never seen this look before. Like I was, gen <laughs> I was genuinely shocked and taken aback. I have not. It's like 
it's like six or seven straight up pigtails that it's liberty it's liberty spikes my friend yeah it is okay that's right yeah yeah she has liberty spikes coming out of her head which i have attempted at one point in my life oh i want pictures um there were no pictures taken but uh, I I may try at some point in my life to recreate that. How about that? I'll do that for you on your on your thirtieth birthday. Okay. Can I wear my prom dress and you hold me? Yep. <laughs> oh my! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! So beautiful. You look so pretty. <laughs> so that is my Oscar. What 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 is your Oscar for Pretty in Pink? Uh, my Oscar for Pretty in Pink is. Best use of a completely imaginary technology. AKA, what the heck I am program are they using where, like, it takes over the entire screen? Thank you. I didn't know. It was so weird. I didn't know if I was just completely misinformed and, like, that was, like, a real thing. But, like. Okay. If it was, I mean, I I was born maybe three years before you, but still. So there's absolutely a possibility that this was a real program and totally was a thing. But I have never seen an IM that takes over your entire computer screen. Sure. And like, yeah, it was so shocking and jarring in an 80s movie to see two characters talking like over instant messenger. Right. And it was an instant messenger such that, like, Andy couldn't continue working because the screen had been so taken over by this instant message such that she had to write, ha-ha, Ducky, because she thinks it's Ducky. I'm working. Right. Yeah. So she can't, because she can't do both. <laughs> right. I mean, so, like, I, I I couldn't help but try to figure out the actual technology, like, like they're in the computer lab and it has to be like hardwired into the computer where everyone in the computer lab can talk to each other. I assume there's no way it exists outside, but like, yeah, it was so weird. It was, it was so people don't know how a computer really works yet. So we can skate by that. This is a thing for Blaine to just anonymously start messaging her. Right. And the way that he uploads photos later of the both of (laughs) them is like, it's not an accept or upload link. It just, it's suddenly there's a photo that takes up the, it was very weird. So I'm going to treat this as, the one science fiction moment in Pretty in Pink, and there you go. I'm going to give it an Oscar for that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is clearly a cult film. Like, Oh, yeah. We've been beating it over the head. I've heard about this movie my entire life. It is a a seminal 80s rom-com classic. Well, and it's it's quotable to like the try a little tenderness yeah. movie or moment is so like that's what comes to mind. It definitely has like a following. You have people who are obsessed with this movie. And I feel like it's typically people who were born 
before the 80s. It's referenced very frequently. It and other John Hughes movies are referenced very frequently in Gilmore Girls, which is a cult television show if there ever was one. (laughs) Um, But I think even that in and of itself makes, makes, solidifies this movie as cult. Yeah, and it it, it struck some kind of chord for sure for the people that like their lives were still developing when they first saw this movie and when it first came out. And John Hughes clearly had such a way of turning low stakes into high stakes. I think that's what helped make this movie stand out as a as a cult classic. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Did you like Pretty in Pink? I liked it less the second time around. Sure. Um, which is a, li- a little sad to say, but at the same time, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just a sign of growing up. There's still, I mean, there's still dear moments, and I still have to say, like, if I'm, I don't know if I'm a sucker, but if a guy comes into my place of work and does a try a little tenderness dance, I might still fall for it. I don't know. <laughs> I know where you work now, so I can I can actually picture that. <laughs> yes, yeah, someone will come into Biltmore headquarters and dance to try a little tenderness. Right. <laughs> sure, that's going to happen. Yeah, I dig it. Should we play our favorite game? I think we should. You know, Kevin Bacon was an 80s star. Uh, just as much as the rest of these guys. And I'm curious to see (laughs) how directly we could associate them to one another. You know, you'd think it wouldn't be hard, but I actually had to go through several different actors to find my Kevin Bacon. But Andy, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so I could do it in one, two... Three, three movies okay and so my my new emotional paramour my new my new instant top list movie crush my new hall pass uh james spader <laughs> was in wall street okay. with charlie sheen uh-huh. charlie sheen was in platoon with johnny depp and johnny depp was sure. in black mass with kevin bacon Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. My six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Henry Dean Stanton, who played Andy's dad, is in The Green Mile with Sam Rockwell. Mm. Who is in Frost Nixon with Kevin Bacon. There you go. There we go. I think you regained a lead. I didn't regain a lead. Uh, <laughs> woo. I shout out to my true homie, my husband, Alex Ruiz, who always, <laughs> always does my Kevin Bacon for me and makes me look good. Yay. <laughs> Small mention before we move on to picking our next movie. Gina Gershon yeah. is in this. We had a surprise Spader and a surprise Gershon. And I was not mad about yes. either. No, me neither. But it was so funny to be like, wait, why does her face look familiar? <gasps> Ta-da! Showgirls! <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting um, to see her at a moment in her career where, like, she's in a couple scenes, but she really doesn't get any lines. So that was a nice little treat. <laughs> it was! And it made me feel like, you know, Andy, 
We've got enough movies under our belt that we're starting to be like, oh, hey, isn't that... Wait, hold on. I recognize them from somewhere. Which just is a really nice feeling. So that is a really friend. nice feeling. Yeah, it's a really nice connection. And, like, we're building a bridge that has never existed in a way before. And, aw. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Aw, friend. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Now let's pick our next movie so we can continue to make that rainbow bridge come true. Exactly. I'm totally with you. So I am queuing up the Hollywood Crypt random number generator. And we have, I want to say, 290 movies. So I have randomized. Hey, we're working our way down. Uh Uh-huh. We have a sustainable podcast. Yes, we do. <laughs> we'll be doing this well into our 40s. Ooh, okay. So the number is number 219. And okay. 219 is a movie I have never seen, but I am quite excited for. Uh, it is Cecil B. Demented by John Waters. Ooh, and I am excited because John Waters was one of the things that you were like, oh, we're going to get into this. Yeah, this is your first Waters, and that's interesting. <laughs> now, I'm very excited. I'd never heard of this movie. Like, I had heard of some of his other ones, like Hairspray and Crybaby. John Waters lives in Colt. I don't think he's made a movie that is not Colt. <laughs> So I'm very excited for that. So for those of you who were completely unaware, like Andy and I are, because neither of us have ever seen this movie, Cecil B. Demented, filmed in the year 2000, is an insane independent film director and his renegade group of teenage filmmakers who kidnap an A-list Hollywood actress and force her to star in their underground film. Andy, where is this available for streaming or watching yeah so at time of recording it is available to watch free on the streaming service to be tv t-u-b-i tv um and if you check there and it's not there uh that's not our fault it is for rental on amazon hooray yeah fantastic well that's all for this edition of cult fiction if you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at ColtFictionCast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we get ready for our close-up. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Andy Bowell.